Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. We're gonna read up on a lot of plays and talk about them in many ways. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Read More Plays, the comedy podcast about plays and the artistic process. I'm Ricardo Frederick Evans. I'm Jennifer Sassaman. And this week we are going to be talking about Christopher Durang's Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Which, among the many prestigious awards it garnered, won the 2013 Tony Award for Best Play. Before we get started on this freaking awesome play, we have a few (laughs) announcements to make. Most importantly, that this week, our podcast hit 300 downloads. Woohoo! According to Buzzsprout, podcasts that have been downloaded 300 times in 30 days are doing better than 75% of all podcasts. So from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank everyone who's downloaded our first episode and the trailers we made. We are incredibly excited to start off our podcast with such a supportive response. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We also wanted to let you know that we have had several people sign up to be guests with us this season, starting with the next two episodes we're doing. We will be joined in two weeks by Johanna Pan, an incredibly talented costume designer that works out of New York City and Singapore. She's going to talk with us about the classic Chinese play Snow in Midsummer, And the following episode to discuss August Wilson's Two Trains Running, we will be joined by the fantastic Helen Hayes award-winning actor, Mr. Frank Britton. I was fortunate enough to work with Frank on Two Trains Running in 2014 at Roundhouse Theater, just outside of Washington, D.C. And I can tell you, in addition to being one of theater's ultimate craftspeople, he is super nice, super talented, and he is an icon and a darling in the D.C. theater community. I am overjoyed that he will be joining us. Me too. I also got to see Frank in Two Trains Running in Milwaukee last spring when I took a group of students to see that play at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. He was so good. I was also lucky enough to work with Johanna on a production of Town at Lost Nation Theater, but she's worked all over the place, including with Lincoln Center on their Broadway revival of Falsetto Land. Obviously, both Johanna and Frank will have so much to contribute to our conversation about those plays. You can check out our website, readmoreplays.com, to see the other fabulous guests that we have lined up for the season. And I have one additional bit of information I wanted to share, which is if you're trying to get copies of the plays that we're reading for the show, but you can't find them on Amazon or at your library or your local bookstore... Because, of course, we at Read More Plays want you to support playwrights. Definitely. I wanted to have a hard copy of each play we're reading this season, so I did some online shopping. And there were several plays that I could only get through Concord Theatricals. So I just wanted to mention that website, concordtheatricals.com, if you, like me, are struggling to find some of these scripts. Of course, you don't need to read the plays to listen to the podcast, but if you are going to read the plays in advance, we wanted to make sure that you were aware of that resource. And now it's time for Hot Takes! Every episode, we start off answering the same five questions to give you a quick look at our general impressions of the show. So, the first question is, what do you think is the best thing about this show? Ricardo? 
I think the best thing about this show was how much I could relate to it. I love the drama wrapped in humor. I love that it was smart and specific. I love that it wasn't a parody. I love that it was a seriously funny play. I actually want to save my answer for what I think is the best thing about the show until we do the analysis section. Um, it's a bit of a forward if you were listening last episode, but it's so tied into the analysis I did that I'm just gonna save it. All right, the next question is, what do you see as the biggest problem with the text? What I see as a potential problem with this text is there are so many speeches that are super melodramatic and very specifically referencing Chekhov plays that it would be difficult to believe that somebody would say them realistically. And I think this comedy is meant to be taken realistically. So how do you find a way to really, you know, stay authentically connected to your character and play for the comedy of these over-the-top melodramatic moments? Um, I think that would be a balance I would constantly struggle with in working on this production. But I think it's possible and I have some ideas and we can talk about them in the idea section. Ricardo, what do you see as being the biggest problem in the text? Well, I will say this, and I'll actually make this be a little bit of a foreword as well. Um, two words, and these are in the character description uh, uh, in the beginning of the play, any race. It specifically mm. says that Cassandra is any race. And it just struck me as odd, and I thought, and, and it, it just, I had an issue for some reason with it um, because no other character is specifically um, is specifically described from a racial perspective. And even though it's a pretty generic description, it just struck me as odd. And, and I understand that the characters may have been written for specific people or whatever, but why was that kept in the final, in the final script? Um, but we yeah. can talk more about that in analysis. Because I've written Got it. That makes a lot of sense. paragraphs actually about it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite quote from the play, Ricardo? Hot take number three. Okay, so my favorite quote from the play, and I'm going to slip in one honorable mention, um, or, or at least I'll just give you two because it was really hard. I, I ended up with seven, but I'm going to give you <laughs> my top two, I guess. Um one was Cassandra says, oh, she's having trouble with pricks. Women often do. <laughs> uh, and the other is Masha saying, it's lovely. True silence is the rest of the mind. It is to the spirit what sleep is to the body, nourishment and refreshment. I love that quote. I also thought it was interesting because I was not familiar with that quote. I looked it up. I don't know if you did. Um, but the quote is from William Penn. And that is the person who founded the state of Pennsylvania, which is where the play takes place. So I just thought that was interesting. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I did not know that, but I love that line. All right. If you were going to work on a production of this show, what role or job would you want? I definitely want to play Arkadina. I mean, Masha, who is totally the character Arkadina from The Seagull. That seems like so much fun. I'm all about yeah. it. Ricardo? I really identify with Vanya, and I think I could do a fantastic job playing that I part. agree. Uh, I want to see you as Vanya. I, 
Yeah, I would love to play that. But honestly, I would also really love to play Cassandra because <laughs> forget forget gender specific casting. That's a really really fun role too, and she just yeah, I I would love to play that. I definitely found myself wondering why does this part have to be a woman? Like a cleaning yeah. person could be a man, um, mm-hmm. and you know, far be it for me to take a role from a woman and give it to a man. But I uh... I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question in the hot takes. Uh, which character is the most like you, Ricardo? Okay, so this is a tough one too because I did find myself relating to every single character in some form or fashion and at some at some point in my life, a different point in my life. Probably today, um, uh, today I would say there's still much more Vanya than anyone else. I feel like I'm more Vanya than anyone else, but honestly, I felt that I could, I, I really could relate to every, every character. Um, but, but Vanya has a slight edge. I thought you were going to say Vanya. I also think out of those characters, I am the most like Vanya. Um, I think that, I think that he's very calm and that even when bad things are happening, he still is really positive And, um, I'm a Taurus, so I I think I stay calm way past when other people lose their cool, but when I lose my cool, like Vanya, I totally lose it. (laughs) So I think I am the most like Vanya. I think, though, the other character I I am most like is Nina. I think I can be absurdly positive and naive, um, and maybe that's a good thing on one day and a bad thing on another day. I don't know, but um, I definitely... I, you know, even in this advanced decade, I still find myself thinking it can get better. You just have to do and work and try and look, it's so beautiful. I, so yeah, I'm like Vanya with a splash of Nina or Nina with a splash of Vanya. (laughs) Yeah. And there's so much that, that he clearly has going on in his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's very little of it that actually comes out. And then when he tries to make the attempt and it, it isn't quite met um, in the way that I think it it really should be. Um, that's sort of when he breaks down and has a lot to say for pages and pages. <laughs> All right, that, is, that is a monologue I don't want to learn. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and now the section where I test Jennifer to see how well she knows the plot of Vanya and Sonya and Masha and Spike by giving her a quiz about what happens in the show. If you've read the play, you can take the quiz along with us as you listen. But if you haven't, this is a great way to get familiar with the story. I'm so excited. Are you? Okay. (laughs) You're not sweating? No. I'm like, all the questions. I want all the questions. Okay. Well, if you have any trouble, remember you do have all the lifelines. That's right. By way of our sound engineer, Mr. Samuel Fitzwater Butchart. So uh, the first one's really easy. In the play, we learn that Vanya and Sonia and Masha's parents were professors and that they were active in community theater. Vanya recalls that when he was seven years old, his father became enraged when he didn't know the author of what play. I know the answer to this. I don't know that I think that's an easy, you know, you said it's easy. I thought you were going to say, who did they name the kids after? Which, of course, the parents named all their kids after characters in Chekhov plays. But I actually had that line listed as one of my favorite jokes. So Vanya's line is, 
having professors, uh, and I'm, I knew the answer, sorry, to be clear, I know the answer, it's Moliere. I know exactly what it is, I'm just, think it's really funny. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even say Moliere. It does not say Moliere in the text. I just know that. The text says, having professors for parents had its drawbacks. Father was so angry when you didn't know something, but what seven-year-old knows who wrote the imaginary invalid? Father became so angry when I said Neil Simon. I mean, I was seven. <clears throat> so the answer to your question is <laughs> Moliere or Jean-Baptiste Poquelin, which was Moliere's real name. Okay. All right. Okay, bring it. Good job. Thank question you. number two. We discover that Sonia is the adopted sister of Vanya and Masha and perhaps has some unresolved feelings surrounding her adoption. What variety of a species of thistle cultivated as food does she recall her father referring to her as? What species of thistle? Oh, he called her an artichoke. My little, My little artichoke. artichoke, yes. <laughs> and then Vanya said, oh, father liked artichokes. That was probably a good thing. Question number three. While drinking their coffee in the morning room of their Bucks County, Pennsylvania farmhouse, Vanya and Sonia look out the window towards the pond for what creature that eats frogs and is described by Vanya as both a good omen and a harbinger of good luck. It is a blue heron. It is the blue heron. Do you think it will come this morning? It usually comes in the morning, but it might come in the afternoon. It's not a good, it's not a good omen for the frogs he eats, though. Question number four. Throughout the play, the character of the cleaning lady slash possible psychic, Cassandra, is constantly telling the other characters to beware of things. What does she tell Vanya and Sonia to beware of that leaves them perplexed and could be a person or a thing or a restaurant menu item? Hootie pie! Hootie pie! Hootie pie! Beware of hootie pie! Beware of <laughs> um, extra credit, what is actually the big major plot point that she kind of um, uh, uh, mentions right after this? To be she says of. that the, she says that they're going to lose the house, yeah, uh, and that they're going to be that they're going to they're going to have to walk to the poor house. And they said, "I'm sure someone can give us a ride." <laughs> <laughs> Question number five, multiple choice. Cassandra's warnings throughout the play say to beware of everything here except a the Ides of March. B, Greeks bearing gifts. C, mushrooms that grow in the fields. D, nocturnal flying creatures. Or E, none of the above. I'm going to say C, because I don't remember the mushrooms. I remember A, B, and D. Is that your final answer? It is my final answer. You are correct. Yes! She does say mushrooms that grow in the meadow. That was a bit of a trick question, but you got mm. it anyway. Um, okay, well done. Question number six. When Vanya and Sonya's glamorous sister Masha arrives, much to her sibling's surprise, she is accompanied by a handsome young man named Spike. Spike, we learn, is the character's acting name. What is his real name? Vlad. Vlad. Which is very, very Russian. So very fits Russian. in with all the Chekhov. Very Russian. Who, uh, uh, extra credit, who uh, encouraged him to change his name? It was the person he read for, I guess, his agent. He said that Vlad yes. was too like hard, hard to, to hear. <laughs> yeah, but and he had his hair was in spiky. His hair was really gelled, so they called gelled Spike. So they called him. He said he suggested Spike. Right, and it stuck. Um, excellent. Question number seven: 
Masha laments that although she's a movie star, she didn't get to take the path to become a classical actress on the stage because she had to choose between doing Chekhov's Three Sisters or going off to do a movie about an infomaniac serial killer like you do. What does she say was the name of the famous acting teacher who wanted to cast her as her namesake in Three Sisters? It was Derek. It, and I even looked that this was part of my dramaturgy. I looked it up. It was like Derek Savronsky or Scrivon. It was like Sarotsky. Um, all I know is that that's not a real acting teacher. The only thing I found was some horrible killing that happened. It's yeah, it's Derek Saretsky. Yeah. That was the only Derek Soretsky I found online. Um, extra credit. What type of teaching uh, was he known for? That was my second favorite joke in the whole thing. <laughs> that was the first place where I legitimately fell out laughing when I was rereading this play. It, well, and part of it was that she had she's talking about her great acting teacher. And then she's like, OK, well, I had three sessions with him. It's just not like, it's not like an in intense amount of time studying with someone. Um, so he both taught Stanislavski work and he did Meisner work. Both of those are schools of acting training that require years and years and years to fully grasp. And usually you only do one or you do the other. So this idea that he teaches a combination of Stanislavski and Meisner work, Meisner repetition work, yeah, it's like sense memory and and repetition. Yeah, he uh, she says he taught a combination of Stanislavski and sense memory mixed with Meisner repetition repetition technique. Um, that <laughs> is so funny to me. I laughed so hard when I read that that you could do that. You could do Meisner and Stanislavski in three seconds at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say about the movie. I thought this was interesting because. Masha talks, she references that movie, Sexy Killer, and then says that it was a big, it was terrible, but her acting was so good that it went on, it was a huge success. So she did five of them. Yes. And something about that clicked for me because I know that Christopher Durang wrote the part of Masha specifically for Sigourney Weaver to perform. And when I read that, I remembered that that's basically how Sigourney Weaver started because she was in the horror movie Alien. Mm -hmm. And then it was a huge success, and then they made all these other Alien movies. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was really funny that he wrote that bit in, that this actress started out and uh, did five horror movies and that Sigourney Weaver played Ripley. In yeah, the, I'm sure that was, that was not an accident at all. Question number eight. Masha has been invited to a costume party by a new neighbor who is extremely wealthy and bought the Dorothy Parker house up the road. Masha has devised that she will go as Snow White and Vanya and Sonya and Spike will accompany her as other characters from the Disney movie. When Sonya objects to going as a dwarf, what actresses does she indicate she would prefer to go as? What actresses? She says that she wants to go as the evil queen and that she's going to go as the evil queen as played by Maggie Smith. Right. That's what she finally decides. But what? Uh, who does she suggest before that? I don't remember. Sam? Oh, sorry. Beep, boop, 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 beep, <laughs> beep. Sam, do you happen to recall? I knew every other trivia point that he mentioned in that question. But... Uh, I don't remember the actresses she said she wanted to play. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe you don't remember. <laughs> Thank goodness for lifelines. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. It's Dame something something. Well, she actually says that she she says I don't want to go as your dwarf. I want to go as Jean Harlow or Marlena Dietrich. Who does Sonia eventually? Oh wait, you've already ad- answered this question. My next question number nine was who does she eventually dress as for the party? I'm so good. I answered the question before you. You, ask you, it. you're a psychic. You, you got a little bit of Cassandra going on. It was the evil queen from Snow White. Beware, as by Maggie Smith. beware. <laughs> and I love that it was as played by Maggie Smith on the way to the Oscars. Yes, I actually watched some clips of Maggie Smith to try and get a sense of how she speaks. Um, a, a bonus question: What is the name of the town with the secondhand store? Sonia says she will go to find the costume. Upper Black Eddie. Upper Black Eddie. And, that's right. And I looked up the I looked up the to see if Dorothy Parker did have a house in Bucks County, and she did. And I looked at that's in my dramaturgy. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can look at it. Links to that. Um, so I looked at the house. There's some nice photos. And then I did a Google search just to see how far apart the Dorothy Parker house and Upper Black Eddie were, and they were about 12 miles apart. Sounds like uh, Durang did his research too. I've been to Bucks County. It's really pretty. Is I it? like Bucks County. Yeah, when I lived in Philadelphia, um, we, you know, I, I went up there a couple of times. It's really, it's really peaceful and woodsy and quaint and lots of general stores and antique stores and stuff. It's adorable. Okay. You ready for the next one? I am. Question number 10. When Spike, who has stripped down to his skivvies to go wade in the pond, brings back a new friend he met there named Nina, Masha is dismayed, to say the least. Why is she dismayed? Because when she was in the kitchen asking Cassandra something, um, Cassandra was giving her all kinds of warnings. And one of the warnings she said was, beware of Nina. So when the girl answers and says her name is Nina, Masha says, God damn it! <laughs> Which to me made me immediately think she was frustrated that it was, you know, it's so clearly the character of Nina from The Seagull that is being referenced here. So she was annoyed at that reference. But yeah. really what she was annoyed at was that uh, she'd been warned to, to beware of her. Yeah, I felt like it was kind of covering a couple of bases there. And and the fact that Nina was also young and beautiful and a bit of a, uh, and represented some competition. And Spike was paying a lot of attention to her. A lot, yeah. Um, What special day was Nina celebrating? This is the bonus question. Her name day. Her name day. It's my name day. day. (laughs) Just like on Game of Thrones. I mean... Just like in The Three Sisters. And you know Although I thought Ma- about Game of Thrones because I just finished watching that for the first time <laughs> not too long before we, we read this. And I was like, oh, look at that. It's showing up everywhere. Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, okay. Do Oh, wait. I actually had two bonus questions for this one. <laughs> in this moment, too, what do we learn is Masha's surname? Hardwick. Hardwick. Masha Hardwick. Miss Hardwick, if you're nasty. <laughs> Question number 11. At the top of act two, after the party, why is Masha upset with Spike? At the top of the scene, she's upset with Spike because he is trying, his plan is to give Nina a ride home. And he, if he was going to give her a ride home, he should have dropped her off first and then come home with Masha. But she's also mad because the party was not fun and Sonya got a lot of attention and Spike flirted with literally everybody, male, female, canine, I don't know. (laughs) And other. Yeah. And other. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. 
Um, no bonus question there, actually. Um, question number 12. Um, in the fallout of the costume party, Masha and Sonia find themselves crying hysterically while Vanya attempts to console them. Masha believes her life is over and she has no future, while Sonia believes her life is pointless and that she hasn't lived. Sonia is also afraid that her memory is going. What two things does she believe she can't remember? I loved this line, mostly because I played Irina in Three Sisters when I was in college. So she said, uh, I'm forgetting the Italian for window and ceiling, which is is a line from the Three Sisters. When I first read that, I was like, wait, I know that line because it was my line. <laughs> and, you know, in, it's this terribly sad scene in Act 3 where, oh, poor Irina, that girl. So sad. Um, Irina's line in The Three Sisters says, where, where has it all gone? Where is it? Oh, oh my God, my God, I've forgotten everything. Forgotten everything. Everything is confused in my head. I can't remember what the word for attack what the word for window in Italian or for ceiling. I'm forgetting everything. I'm forgetting more and we'll never go to Moscow. Never, never. <laughs> and, um, and so it's just, you know, it's so Chekhov. It's so upsetting and so depressing. And so Sonia is saying, oh, I can't remember the Italian for window or for ceiling. <laughs> and Vanya is immediately Vanya. like, window is... Finestra what? and ceiling Finestra is Sofrito. Finestra Sofrito. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought that was so funny. Yeah, I love that part too. <laughs> Question number 13. Cassandra shows up on her day off and has a little fun at Masha's expense. What method does she employ? Well, she's got some kind of Mardi Gras stick that she's shaking around to try and clear the atmosphere. But then she has a voodoo doll, a little baby Snow White that she keeps jabbing with pins and saying, "You every time you think about selling the house, jab, jab, jab. <laughs> yes. And you can hear Masha offstage screaming. Yeah, I love that part. She's like, uh, something must be wrong with the bed. And he's like, you're no, and Vanya's like <laughs> off screen also, you're nowhere near the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked in that section, um, I don't, you said earlier something about Cassandra being you know, possibly a psychic. She's clearly a psychic, maybe yeah. not always in the most helpful way, but not only is she clearly a psychic because she keeps saying things that turn out to be real problems. But she's also clearly connected to the other world because when Vanya stabs the doll with the needle, Nothing it doesn't happens. do anything. But mm -hmm. when Cassandra does, ouch, offstage. Yes, Vanya is, pow is powerless when it comes to voodoo. Question number 14. Nina has agreed to read Vanya's play and finds herself at an actor's crossroad. What are her two options and which does she choose? I loved that. That to me was so Christopher Durang writing a little note to every actor he's ever worked with and every actor he might someday work with. Because she said, I could either be one of those actors who's really difficult and questions everything, or I could be one of those actors who just kind of gives it a shot and goes, you know, I think I'll be that kind. Question number 15. Sonia realizes she made quite the impression at the party when she receives a phone call the next day. What was the nature of that call? She got a call from someone who wants to take her out to dinner. Someone named Joe that she talked to at the party who was dressed like Sam Spade. Yeah. Um, bonus, bonus, where, what is the address? What is their home address where he's going to pick her up on Saturday at 6 p.m.? I... <laughs> I, I, I remember typing it in because I did a Google search to see if that was a real address. And there is 
a road. It, it's like Hollyhock Lane and there's a Hollyhock Road in Bucks County. Um, it's something rural, like 55 Morningstar Lane or something. But so I no, looked you, it up. You're right. 55 Hollyhock Road. Oh, wow. Nice. That's what comes to writing stuff down. Final question. After a debacle of a play reading, Vanya finds himself giving the other characters a piece of his mind. Which of the following does he not reference in his monologue? A, Lindsay Lowen. B, Howdy Doody. C, Senor Wentith. <laughs> D, Entourage. Or E, all of the above. He references all of those. Is that your final answer? It is. Incorrect. Did he not reference Howdy Doody? I thought he referenced Howdy Doody. He did not reference Entourage. He referenced Entourage 2. Oh, come on. Quick That's trick ridiculous. question. Trick question. Hey, this is all I got. It's all I got. I cannot. You know everything. I can't. <laughs> Did that satisfy some form of Ravenclaw uh, Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely challenging. Okay. That was fun. All right. Plays were meant to be seen, not read, but before a production is ready to be seen by audiences, even before... Rehearsals and production meetings begin. The job of the theater artist is to come to a deeper understanding of the text by looking at it through an analytic lens. In this section, the analysis section, we'll get to know this play a little bit better by talking about it through a single piece of analysis. This week, we're going to be using a technique called background information. This is from David Ball's book, Backwards and Forwards. This piece of analysis is very simple. It's reading you do outside of the play itself. Now, sometimes this is going to mean reading other plays by the playwright of the play you're working on so that you can get a sense of repeated themes in their work. Sometimes this means reading source material that the play you're working on is based. And sometimes this can mean doing a lot of research on a topic that is centrally important to the play that you're working on. Whichever you wind up doing, the question you ask yourself after you've done the outside reading is, what has this illuminated for me about the play I'm working on? So for us, this meant reading several of the more famous plays of Anton Chekhov. So Ricardo, did you, what did you read? So, and uh, full disclosure, I had every hope and desire to read The Seagull, The Cherry Orchard, Uncle Vanya, um, Three Sisters, um, and I, made several attempts. Um, <laughs> some of them resulted in um, me falling asleep, but it was also in my defense. It was also relatively late at night, but I will say that I pretty much made it through the cherry orchard and the seagull effectively. I skimmed through uncle Vanya and three sisters. I didn't really touch as much at all. Was anything about Vanya, Sonia, Masha, Spike illuminated to you by reading those plays? Well, it was it, it was very clear that uh, a lot of the a, a lot of the dialogue um, and the situations were inspired by the Chekhov plays. There were there were many things that were pretty pretty identical um, or, or very close um, in in the sense that there was a, a threat to their home um, or, or the possibility of losing their home, which is uh, a, a recurring theme in Chekhov. Um, yeah. And uh, the characters uh, also had sort of a larger than life feel, um, which I feel like the characters in, in Chekhov's plays also have. Um, and 
uh, they also don't um, necessarily uh, make the best choices. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or, or if or at they all. don't make any choices. Yeah, choices at all, if at all. So um, yeah, those sort of things, uh, those sort of things really stuck out to me. And um, so I could really see, I could really see how those things related to Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. I had read all of these plays before, but it had been some time. So I was, obviously I was familiar with Three Sisters because I played Irina, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> and I've read Seagull a bunch, but it's been a while. I only think I had in the past read Cherry Orchard once. So that was a re- So I, I read all of Uncle Vanya. I read all of Seagull. I read all of Three Sisters. And then I read most of the Cherry Orchard before I ran out of time. I didn't think it would take as long as it did. Mm-hmm. I just felt like I'm still reading. Why am I still reading? And so were you, were you, you, you pick it up, you start it and you go right through, or did you pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down? You know, I'm a single mom, so pretty much everything in my life is pick it up, put it down. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I have very little sustained time for anything. But I, I, uh, depending on the amount of time I had, I did find that when I was well rested, it was easier to read. Um, I think I have a really good translation. I read, I read the Paul Schmidt translation, which is something that was recommended to me when I was in grad school, and I can put a link to that edition on the Patreon just. For anybody to see outside, you don't have to be a Patreon supporter to see it. Um, I I do recommend it. I did feel like it was very readable. And I've read other translations that I didn't feel like were as readable. Mm -hmm. But I I don't know. I have have lots of notes scrawled in the margins. I can put some of that on the Patreon too, some of the marginalia. Um, I definitely felt like 2020 is a bad year to read a whole bunch of Chekhov. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. It's a whole mood. It's so weighty. Um, but I do think not only did this, did this background information analysis super illuminate the play that I was working on. It also made me really appreciate the play that I was working on. I mean, I liked Vanya and Sonia Mush and Spike. I think it's a funny play, but reading the, reading the Chekhov really made me grateful for the existence of this play. I agree. I saw so many connections to the character I mean, even starting off with the first character in the title, Vanya, I don't think that that character was as similar. Like the Vanya character in Uncle Vanya Mm -hmm. is so depressed. And I think this Vanya is way more sanguine about everything. But when you name a character Vanya in a play that you know is about, (laughs) is based on Chekhov themes, if you know the play Uncle Vanya and you know that he has this explosive outburst and tries to kill the yeah. professor at yeah. the end of Uncle Vanya, to me, just naming him Vanya was a forward. Because I'm like, okay, what's coming? What's coming? And of course, he does have this huge explosive rant at yeah, the it, end of the play. No, I was going to say the same. I was going to say the same thing. You, you, you're, you're like, well, okay, Chekhov's gun. Where, who, who's going to? That's totally. Who's what it says in my notes here yeah, i said I'm like, he who's gonna is shoot it? Chekhov's Vanya gun. needs to be the one yeah and i said yeah metaphorically he is Chekhov's gun but uh <laughs> and part of my notes i also said that uh after spending a couple of days having read the play a couple of days later i felt like Chekhov's gun felt more like in in as with Vanya as the metaphor felt more like a super soaker rather than a real gun. <laughs> it didn't feel like um it didn't feel like it has a, had as much 
impact. I mean, I loved Vanya's, um, I loved Vanya's speech at the end and I was so like there, I was living for it and all the references and there were so many that I, that I remember from my own childhood or remember watching and rerun so many th the things that he, uh, that he talked about and, and, um, but, but after it was said and done, I was like, I wanted, I wanted something more impactful, you know, but yeah, the fact that he didn't try to kill anybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, maybe not so much that, but just for anybody who's listening, who maybe hasn't spent a lot of time in the theater world or studying theater, the concept of Chekhov's gun is basically just saying that if you put a gun on stage, you're going to have, it's going to get shot at some point. Um, so when you name a character Vanya and you base it on this famous play where somebody goes ballistic at the end, you're, you spend the whole play kind of waiting for that person to lose it. And that was one of the parts in, uh, when I was skimming through Uncle Vanya, that was one of the parts that I read a few times because it kind of enjoyed, I enjoyed it because it was exciting and there was something happening when Vanya's chasing him <laughs> around, shooting at him. <laughs> Missing. <laughs> Missing. It's like, missed again, bang. And he's, he's actually <laughs> saying bang. <laughs> That's that interesting too, because in Three Sisters, somebody breaks their mother, their dead mother's clock. And as he throws it down, he goes, smash. <laughs> Everybody's doing their own sound effects. Um, I also feel like Vani has a little bit of Trigoran from Seagull because he's mm. quiet, 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 quiet. And then when he does speak, you've got pages of text. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, with the character of Sonia, I did feel like she was similar to the character Sonia and Uncle Vanya, but she also uh, was similar both to the characters Irina and Olga and Three Sisters. Uh, Masha is the other kind of Chekhov character. I mean, she's so, so much like Arkadina from Seagull. She was named after Masha from the Three Sisters, and I can see a little bit of tie-in there, but really, she's this famous actress. She's dating younger mm -hmm. men. She's popular, rich, successful. She wants everything to be about her. She's annoyed by her other relatives, but then kind of feels bad because she also loves them and doesn't want to truly be a jerk. I feel as though... Chekhov's got these two different archetypes of women, either the really bold one who sleeps around or the really miserable one who wants to be in love and can't do anything with their life. Spike is a very modern creation, but I do see a little bit like Trigorin from Seagull in that he's younger than the person that he's dating. He's successful or he's, you know, talented. Um, and Cassandra, a tiny bit, reminded me of Carlotta from Cherry Orchard because she, you know, Carlotta was the governess and Cassandra's the cleaning woman and Carlotta does magic tricks. Everyone's like, oh, do another trick, Carlotta. And Cassandra is, uh, obviously she's the soothsayer and does voodoo. Um, so I, I felt like there were some overlaps there, but also Nina, <laughs> Nina, that character is just lifted from the seagull and then dropped Placed in, this play. in this play. Yeah. So I feel like I can understand the characters much better by reading all of the different major Chekhov plays. I also saw a lot of repeated themes and I came up with this list of all these repeated themes, all of which are in Vanya, Sonia, Masha, Spike. There's great concern for the environment. It kind of surprised me, honestly. Throughout all of the plays, there are these people who are deeply concerned about the environment. Um, I, was, I was a little surprised to be reminded that Chekhov was such an advocate for using the planet better. And that's such mm -hmm. a big issue with Vanya in in our show 
There's a preoccupation about what the future will be and what the future people will think of us now. Unrequited love, all through it. Relationships between older people who are siblings. That's throughout all of Chekhov plays. Um, how awful it is to be old when you used to be young and full of life. How the death of loved ones shapes who, you, you, in your past, how the death of, death of loved ones shapes who you are right now. Reminiscing on how things were better and simpler in times past and how so much has been lost since then. Close relationships between employees or servants and the people who employ them. Women who are bold and don't give a bleep about what society thinks of them. And selling the family home because money. I feel like Chekhov is really trying to put quote unquote now within the context of a much broader timeline. So those were the themes I saw from play to play to play that I also saw in the play that we were reading. And I saw a lot of repeated elements too. You know, this idea of a big party being held while the house is being sold out from under them, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, being up late or getting up super early because of some big event like a storm or a fire, smashing things, mm -hmm. <laughs> clocks, coffee cups, needing coffee. Um, and I thought this was so interesting. I, and I didn't see this until the last play. You know, I, it, I have all kinds of notes throughout all of them. Like, oh, that's a reference to Hamlet. Oh, that's a reference to Richard III. Oh, that's a reference to... You know, there's even a reference to the government inspector, which they did at the university I worked at last. And I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't seen that play. But um, it's so subtle that they don't even say, oh, that's a reference to the Gogol play. It's just you have to know the play to get the reference. And I feel like there are so many references in Chekhov to Shakespeare and classical Greek and contemporary Russian dramatic literature and poetry and their songs. And Vanya Sonia Mashaspike does that too. I mean, the whole play is based on a knowledge of all these Chekhov plays, but also there's references to Tennessee Williams and ancient Greek plays. And then all of those TV shows from the fifties yeah. that Vanya talks about in his rant and then songs that were really famous. And there's just such a reliance on popular culture, but a specifically kind of a specific kind of popular culture. Um, so all of that I saw, all of that starts to stand out in the text much more clearly when I looked through all these other Chekhov plays and I'm able to see these themes emerging and being as part of the text and I might not have noticed them. But as I read each one, I found myself thinking, oh, that's in our play. Oh, that's in the play we're working on right now. Oh, I see that. Oh, I see that. You know, because there's that famous line at the start of the seagull where one of the characters said, I'm in mourning for my life. For my life, yes. <laughs> and they tell her to leave the morning room. And she's like, but I, I can't leave the morning room. I'm in mourning for my life. And I was like, oh, that's comedy. Or like yeah. how Nina all throughout the seagull keeps saying, I'm a seagull. And then there are plays. And then she's like, I'm the, the turkey. I'm a or wild something. turkey. I'm a wild, I'm a wild turkey. <laughs> That made me laugh right. out loud when I read that too. Right. And it's funny. It's funny anyway. You don't need to know Chekhov to get these jokes. But I think if you're working on the play, you should understand where the jokes come from. And as an audience member, it's funnier to me. It's funnier to me to know that. It's like, oh, I see what you're doing. I also just wanted to say random fact out of reading. There are kinds of random stage directions in my translation. And my favorite one was in the seagull when Medvedenko 
has the exit instruction, his, his italics say, goes out apologetically. It's like, what? How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> like with body language. I also think the theme of trying to sort out where your life is or, or if you have any life left, or uh, I feel like that was something that I, um, as I was skimming through uh, Chekhov's plays that I, that I picked up on a lot. And, and it really is present in Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Um, one of the, actually my favorite lines is uh, uh, Sonia in uh, Uncle Vanya. I believe it's Uncle Vanya. Uh, what, what's to be done? We must go on living. Um, then she pauses and then she's like, we shall go on living. Uncle Vanya, we shall live through a long, long chain of days and endless evenings. And that's kind of like what, what, it's, it's kind of like where, where, um, it's kind of like where Durang's play starts. They're kind of in their long, long days. They're just sitting, staring out the window. Nothing's happening. Um, but that's the end of Uncle Vanya. And the whole mm -hmm. point of so Sonia and Vanya at the end there are like, everything's horrible. All we can do is just wait for death. And it's just going to be horrible. And we're going to work. And it's going to go on and on and on. But eventually we'll be dead. And like that, that to me <laughs> is so upsetting. Whereas yeah. at the end of Uncle Vanya, instead of, you're right, that's sort of where they all start. Everything is horrible. And they spend a lot of the play, you know, venting this feeling of desperation and depression much the same way that the characters in Chekhov do but by the end they aren't there anymore they're ready they've made changes even Cassandra whose character is sort of rooted in classical Greek drama where the character of Cassandra was um someone who uh, the god Apollo gifted with the ability to see the future but also cursed her because she wouldn't sleep with him he also cursed her so that nobody would believe her. So she had this foresight but could never do anything about it. And Cassandra is the same way. She says, I have these visions and I'm sharing them, but nobody ever listens. So at the start of that last uh, day, when she shows up with the voodoo doll and the Mardi Gras stick, and Vanya says, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm sick of not being able to change things. I yes. want to try and fix things. And that was one of my favorite things and why she was one of my favorite characters uh in in that respect too because not only is she trying to make a difference a she shows up on when it's her day off she's not even supposed to be there that day she's so she's already making changes in her real world but even when she does the play within the play she's consciously making changes making changes in lines or or slight adjustments i think there's one point where she says something about um uh oh where is it something about uh i don't like that line and then she says uh something about i don't like iced tea or something like that oh yeah she changes vanya's line yeah, yeah. i don't like iced tea i will change it to i miss law and order SPU. yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and i'm like that kind of that kind of awareness i felt like this is what uh this is kind of what the, the play should be inspiring people to do just take take it if, if you don't like something, change it or, um, you know, make take control of your life and do something. And now the dramaturgy section where we each share an example of something that we learned while doing research on the show. Jennifer, what is the thing that you would like to share? First, I want to say I looked up so much stuff through this show and I'm going to put it all on the Patreon I found so many delightful things and I had a hard time picking what dramaturgy I wanted to use. But 
The thing I, I, I decided to go with was uh, related to Cassandra, who right when she walks on says, beware the Ides of March, which is of course also a line from Julius Caesar. And so off the top of my head, I, I know that that's the 15th of March, but I started one, you know, but they say, but the, but it's August. And yeah. so I started wondering, oh, well, is the Ides of March and the Ides of August the same thing? So I looked that up and it said that in the ancient Roman calendar, each month had an Ides and um, the Ides is, is derived from the Latin word that means to divide. So the Ides were like right in the middle of that month. So March, May, July, and October, the Ides fell on the 15th, but then the Ides of the other months fell on the 13th. So that would mean, oh, it's the 13th of August. I've solved that little detail. But then I was like, wait, that, they used a different calendar. They used the Julian calendar when uh, Caesar was killed. So she's referencing um, a, an entirely different calendar. So I looked up what the 13th of August would be in the Julian calendar, and it would have been the 225th of August. <laughs> so. Wow. What about you, Ricardo? So <clears throat> in looking at Vanya's monologue near the end of the play, um, he references a lot of things. He does. Um, so the thing that stuck out, because uh, on our on one of our trailers, I do that... Uh, senior senior Wenthith thing <laughs> where he says start right and it was funny i did that just just based on something that was stuck in my head from many many years ago it wasn't like an active memory thing it was just like something that i that i learned about when i was a kid and uh it just sort of sort of st that small little thing stuck um so then he mentions then he mentions senior wences in in the play and i was like i've got to look up more information about senior wences and this this guy was amazing i watched some of his old videos and it's still like it still is funny um and he lived to 103 years old Whoa. um which which i think is amazing look up senior wences you will be uh delightfully entertained if you'd like to learn more about the research and analysis that we did for this play, we post all our findings on the Patreon. So if you sign up to be a supporter there, you can see everything. Now that we've gotten familiar with the structure of the play, we get to talk about our artistic interpretations and share our ideas about how a play like this could be brought to life. And I know we both have a lot of ideas. We both have <laughs> a lot of ideas. Now, I, um, I've i got lots of pictures uh, of, of <laughs> sort of uh, my imaginary casting. Uh, I know this probably would not work in the real world, but I'd be curious um, in my mind to see how this would play out. Um, and uh, also one of the things that I wanted to talk about was uh, the issue that I had or the problem with the play that I had was, um, and it might just be a sign of the times where we are in today's world, but uh, in the character descriptions, it uh, specifically says for Cassandra's character that she could be any age, any race. And it was the any race thing that kind of, um, that kind of stuck in my head as something that I questioned because I'm like, why, um, if it's not necessary, why mention it? Um, and then, and it's not mentioned in any of the other character descriptions. Um, and I know that Durang kind of uh, specifically wrote wrote some of these parts for 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 other actors that he knew um, or that he had relationships with, and that he's worked with, like Sigourney Weaver, David Hyde Pierce, um, and and these are those are actors that I that I love and I've loved for for many many years now. Um, 
but it just struck me as odd. Um, and, and, and he even goes on to specifically say that in the first production, it was played by um, an African-American actress. Um, and I just want, I just wonder why. And, and of course you look at Chekhov's original plays, and of course you're not gonna really have any mention of race um, because pr pr pretty much everybody, I guess in Chekhov's time, um, they were all the same. So just looking at the breakdowns for the seagull, Uncle Vanya, the three sisters, the cherry orchard, like the character descriptions are an actress, her son, a young man, her brother, a young girl, um, a workman, a housemaid, an impoverished landowner. They're, they're like, the, this is all the information that you're giving. Um, not, and not in any of these is any race, even uh, even if it's German or, or anything like that none of it is ever mentioned like that so it just for some reason and it's because of where we are today in the world that that mm -hmm. just really stuck out in my mind i'm like why does uh because a casting director would look at that and look at the way the play was originally produced and say um this is how it was done so this is how we're going to do it now so we're this is the black minority. character yeah this is the black character this is the minority character whatever and i just don't i don't um that was like my biggest because it was the only one that said crop. any race. But of right. course, any one of those characters could be, could any, be race. any race. You yeah. know, one of the things that I didn't see until I was reading Cherry Orchard, I didn't see any adopted characters. But mm. um, but there, but Varya is is adopted in that mm -hmm. in that play, and because that character is adopted, I mean, you could you don't even have to have all of the same. Like any kind of matching ethnicity, they yes. they they could all be adopted. Wait till um, you hear my character breakdown. My my, my <laughs> we'll get vision. to that in seventeen years. <laughs> no, but I was thinking that you know, reading that, thinking I want to play Masha and Ricardo would be so great as Vanya, and wouldn't it be really fun to do that play together? And then thinking, why did you know that this play you could do anything? Spike could be of any race or ethnicity, or exactly. you know, we don't even have to go with you know, sort of male, female, like that kind of rigid binary gender description, right? We could kind of go anywhere with any of these characters, I think. But I, I also think that, I think Durang was trying to be really inclusive since yeah. he wrote those parts for specific performers who happened to be Caucasian. I think he was trying to be... And it is, and I guess it was his way of saying, it was his way of saying, um, consider, consider this when you're casting because this is the way we did it and yeah so i'm not saying it was a terrible thing it just stuck in my head i had actually read that almost as a you don't have to do what we did like we did this with this production but please feel free to do whatever i read it more as a liberating thing because i know how often people in theaters across the country try to replicate what was on broadway and if you say you don't we this is what we did but you can do anything that almost reminds directors and casting directors, hey, don't just mimic, like put put whoever's best for the role in the role. But I do agree with you by saying any race for just one character really only encourages you to be flexible with one character. With and one I character. think all of those parts could be of any particular cat demographic. I, okay, I said that I would like to play Masha and I would really like to play Masha. And I particularly was thinking of an actress, uh, Sam, you know, Hannah Anderson. Um, I think Hannah would be so delightful 
to play Nina. I think that would be really fun to work with her on that part. Um, I also think Ashley Rodriguez would be really fun in that part, people that Sam and I have both worked with. But if, if I wasn't playing Masha, I think Parker Posey would be hilarious <laughs> as <Yes>. Masha. <laughs> um, and I also, I had a hard time not hearing David Hyde Pierce and Sigourney Weaver particular in those yeah. parts because I know those actors so well. Yeah. I could hear their voice. Um, another actor that Sam and I both work with um, who's so talented, Matt Rangel, played the part of Spike. And I, I have worked with him enough that I could hear his delivery or his voice as I read the part. I think he, uh, he'd be so funny in that part. I do feel like it could be interesting to consider any gender for Cassandra. It's written for a woman, but I, I've been listening a lot to the Trevor Noah podcast, and Trevor Noah does that podcast with his friend, the comic, David Kibuka. And maybe because I've been listening to it so much, there was something about those lines that I thought he would be so funny in that part. And I know, Ricardo, you were saying you might like to play Cassandra as well. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm loath to take a part away from a woman, but I also feel like I, I, I think it, it, we don't have to just say, oh, it's a cleaning person. Obviously, that's a woman. We don't have to, to do that. I so in thinking of casting, I got pretty creative. I think, um, or I thought of actors um, or artists who uh, I think could really do some amazing work with the roles. Um, and so, leaving myself aside, even though I wouldn't mind playing, I wouldn't mind playing any of the roles. Honestly, um, I'm looking at uh, Giancarlo Esposito for Vanya. I think uh, he's just, I feel like I'm seeing him in, 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 in everything right now, but also he's just so good. He's just so good at, at doing um, understated work and, and really um, also. Oh yeah. I love him. I didn't remember who um, that was. So for Sonia, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, <laughs> <laughs> Brienne of Tarth. <laughs> yep. I feel like I, I just, I don't know. For some reason, she just yeah. was in the four. She's good comedic actress. Yeah, good comedic actress. Um, um, but she can also handle drama. Um, for Masha, Angela Bassett. Oh, God, um, I love her so much. Yeah, uh, I, I just, yeah, I think uh, her. She, she probably play play really well off of um, um, Mr. Esposito, um, and everybody else, honestly for Spike. Okay. So I kind of went in a couple of different directions with this, maybe like a young John Cena. Cause I just, um, <laughs> my love for John Cena has, he, well, he I know is he's... such a good comedic actor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But also I was going to say, I don't know if I've seen, uh, Adam Rodriguez in anything, um, really comedic, but, um, he just, I also think he's also, uh, quite attractive and would look really good in um, in Spike's costume, <laughs> which is to say, uh, yeah, which is to say not much of a costume at all. I don't know who that is, but he is definitely very attractive. Um, Cassandra, okay. Leslie Jones. Mm -hmm. Oh my uh, God. She would be I think so she would kill it. Hilarious. I think she would absolutely yes. kill it. Or Catherine definitely. Tate. Um, and Nina, finally, just Kristen Bell comes to mind. She is not young enough. She'd I know. I'm a young Kristen, a younger young Kristen, Kristen Bell. Bell. Yeah. But. I love her. I love her. Yeah. All right. My, the one thing I wanted to talk about in terms of production concepts 
this was, I mentioned earlier that I felt like the most problematic part of the text is how, how they have to say these Chekhov lines or Chekhovian lines that would not come up in how people speak normally. Mm -hmm. They're so melodramatic that I think it'd be difficult to, to say them truthfully. And I think it, you, you, you wade into dangerous territory with comedy if you can't be truthful. So I first thought about how Cassandra has all of this beware, beware. And I was thinking, you know, it'd be really interesting if there was sort of this ominous, spooky Greek chorus music that could play under her. And then I started thinking about all these lines that are very Chekhovian. And, you know, they're actually using either ideas of Chekhov or actual quotes from Chekhov. Like, what if there was that classic Russian guitar music that could kind of dramatically play underneath? And when I, so first I thought about the Cassandra music, and then I started thinking about having an underscore for the Chekhovian thing. But then I thought, what if, as a running gag, somebody had either one of those as a ringtone on their phone? So like every time they got a text message from somebody, it played this Greek music so that it would sound like this underscore, but someone had to be like, oh, oh. They had to look at their phone and, and shut the music off. Or when things started getting dramatic, I just felt like it could be a sound gag that went through the whole thing, but that also aided in the delivery of these over-the-top lines. Community Voices is the part of the show where we get to showcase your insights. This can be reactions audience members have had to the conversations we're having on the podcast, themes you see in the text, ideas you have about production, or elements you feel like we overlooked. And they can either be messages posted to our show, discussion thread on Facebook, or voice messages sent to us. This week, we are sharing a written message from Jasmine Cottrell, who responded to our episode on Sarah DeLapp's play, The Wolves, as well as a voice message about the same play that was sent to us from Johanna Dunphy. Jasmine commented on the discussion thread we posted on our Facebook group, writing, This script is one of my favorites that I've discovered in the last year or so. 46 is my whole heart, the little weirdo. Pretty sure that when I saw it last year, I just wanted to scoop her up and hug her awkward ass. Low-key heartbroken <laughs> that Jay Sass, a.k.a. Jennifer Sassman, didn't fictitiously cast me as her. But it's fine, sniff. I'm fine. My heart hurts for soccer mom and for 14. And just to be clear, because I have cast Jasmine in plays in the past, the only reason why I didn't... Uh, fictionally cast her in the part is because she's actually a powerful woman and uh, she's, uh, she could play the part great, but I think that uh, Jasmine is a very strong actress and I would want to use that strength that she actually naturally brings and put her in a part more like uh, Seven. And now the voice message from Johanna Dunphy. Hi, Read More Plays. This is Johanna. I love your podcast, and I love that you chose to do The Wolves as your first play. There are so many reasons that I love this play. First of all is the representation of young women. This isn't done in theater, and these women are shown as strong and unique individuals, and their own personal arcs help to tell this beautiful story where they keep coming back as a collective whole, and it's so seamless and gorgeous, and the physical work is incredible. So I want to tell you my favorite thing about the play, which is I love that they're not named. As readers and audience members, 
we judge characters based on their names right away. And I love that the characters aren't named because it allows us to listen to these young women and learn them for the first time without attributing our judgments on them based on their names. I mean, if there was a character named Karen, we already have a thought about who that character is and who she should be, whether we will admit it or not. Um, so by the time we get to the end, we already love and know these characters. So when a character is named, we are suddenly invested in these women and we are terrified as to which one we lost. It feels like a personal loss. And that is why I love this play. Thanks, and I can't wait to hear your next podcast. Ha! Oh, wow, that was great. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. That's such a interesting. Me neither. Interesting... I mean, and it's, I know. And I know we had lots of conversations about the numbers and blah blah blah. But that's yeah. She's right on with that. She's right on. I thought that was so beautiful. Thanks, Johanna. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Johanna. So if you have thoughts or reactions you'd like to share, we would love to hear them. You can either send us an email at readmoreplayspodcast at gmail post on the discussion thread we will post on our read more plays facebook group or you can send us a voice message just like johanna did instructions are on our website readmoreplays.com and finally to wrap up we want to talk about what this play is about the end game to all deep looks into a play really is for the artist or theater goer to be able to answer for themselves the question of what they think a play is about it's where ideas for productions come from, and it's how a play lives on in our hearts and minds after the lights go down at the end of a show. And most importantly, it's where we get our own sense of knowledge about a play rather than taking the thoughts and ideas of someone else, because we all get to decide what a work of art means to us. So Ricardo, what do you think Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike is about? I think the play is about and I hope it inspires people um, to figure out the things that really matter in their lives. I think it's about figuring out things that really matter to you on a personal level, nurturing them, holding on to them as long as you're able, letting them go if you need to, but keeping them in your heart. I think it's about taking our insecurities by the hand and stripping them down and splashing around with them in the pond. I think it's about different ways that we love each other. I think it's about family. I think this play is about cherishing who you are and your family and, and your shared history, about honoring that, accepting it, letting it go. I think this play is about inspiring people to be more than a casual observer in their lives. It's about writing your way out, as it were. I think it begs us to get off the pot because whether we like it or not the flush is coming and then it's all over but it's never too late even if you're convinced it's too late so i think this play is about working to find peace and also it's about just taking all of life in what about you jennifer what do you think the play is about to me this play which i genuinely loved this play is about moving past the debilitating way disappointment and trauma can press us into inaction. It shows you several characters recognizing the beauty in their lives and making the active choice to seek out the things that will give them a sense of purpose and fulfillment. 
It's a story that illustrates the incredible liberating value of taking control over your own happiness. That's what I think. You've been listening to Read More Plays. If you like this episode, please tell a few friends about us so our theater community can grow. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We would also love it if you would rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have been beyond happy reading all the beautiful reviews that people are posting about us there. So please don't hesitate to write any positive reactions you have had to the podcast in the review section so that all the world can be encouraged to join our community. If you had ideas about the play we discussed today that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear them. You can send us an email at readmoreplayspodcast at gmail.com. A voice message. Instructions are on our website at readmoreplays.com. Or you can post them on the Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike group discussion thread on our Facebook group. We had such a great time talking about the play. We can't wait to hear what your ideas are. Finally, we would love it if you would join the community of incredible people supporting us on Patreon. Every week we post bonus content for our patrons, like extended video clips from our discussion, what our analysis and research for the shows looks like, and bloopers from our recording sessions. And we mess up a lot, so there are plenty of boobers. This episode of Read More Plays was produced by me, Ricardo Frederick Evans, Jennifer Sassaman, and Samuel fitzwater Pichart. Our music is by the incredible Kaylin Harewood. We'd like to thank Jasmine Cottrell and Johanna Dunphy for today's Community Voices messages, as well as Kara Ottervanger, Nick Stella, and Lisa Farica for becoming supporters on Patreon. Actually, we have a special thank you to Lisa in particular um, for her sign-up since she mentioned this in the note she wrote to us. So, Ricardo? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Never thought I could <laughs> feel so free. <laughs> now, if you'd like to know the backstory on why Lisa and I always sing the theme song for The Greatest American Hero to Ricardo, you can watch our introductory Q&A video on Patreon. You don't have to become a supporter to see it, but it includes the story of how Ricardo and I became friends and why we sometimes pretend to be two invented characters who are married. Just go to patreon.com and search for our podcast, then scroll down to see the video. It's just below the membership levels. Our next episode will air Monday, October 5th, when we'll be discussing Snow in Midsummer by Guan Hong King. Until then, I'm Jennifer. And I'm Ricardo. Reminding you to read more plays. See.